Hello, my friends. You are listening to Grit and Grace. My name is Taverly, and I am your host. I'm here to share my entrepreneurial journey with you, and we'll be bringing on some amazing women who've been helping me, mentoring me, and inspiring me on how Grit and Grace helps them crush it in business, relationships, fitness, family, friends, and all that good stuff. Now, let's get started. Welcome back to Grit and Grace. I'm really excited today. I have Heidi Ganahl with me. And if you don't know her, by the end of today, you are going to be completely inspired and amazed at her courage and her tenacity and all the things that she does in life. And you know, I've had the distinct pleasure of, of hearing her speak and have watched her story and watched her grow. And I'm really honored that she's you know, she's joining us and joining all of you, our amazing listeners, to talk more about women and business and politics and all that good stuff. And Heidi has really faced adversity in early in life when she lost her husband in a plane crash, but her entrepreneurial spirit helped her pick herself up and she founded Camp Bow Wow, which is now a hundred million dollar leader in the pet and franchise industry, which is totally an incredibly amazing. She has received like so many accolades, including Fortune Magazine's top 100 most promising entrepreneurs and the 2016 Colorado Brave Leader Award. She was elected to the Board of Regents for the University of Colorado following a heated statewide race. And after selling Camp Bow Wow a few years ago, she dedicated herself to giving back. She is literally a woman after my own heart. She attended the University of Colorado at Boulder for her bachelor's degree in business and went on to receive her master's in healthcare administration from the University of Denver. In 2015, she was appointed by the governor of Colorado to the School Safety and Youth in Crisis Committee. She is the chair of the Job Creators and Network Board and leader in workforce development and small startup business startups. And I hope I got that right. Um, lots, lots of amazing things going on in your life, Heidi. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. And thanks for putting so much emphasis on what women are up to these days. I think it's, it's the right time in history for us to really get out there and make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And I've, I've talked a lot on my podcasts in the past about how, how difficult it is to still today to be a woman doing like ground make breaking and, and change making. And I didn't, to be honest, I didn't even realize how much women still faced in business and in politics until I started my own company last year. And a lot of that was a shock to me. I didn't know that there was still sort of an uphill battle for women. I mean, have you seen this through your whole career? Well, you know, it's funny. I get asked that um, quite often. What, what was it like to be a woman entrepreneur or what challenges did I face specifically around that? And it didn't really occur to me when I was building the business. Um, I didn't have moments where I'd be like, oh, wow, that's because I'm a woman. But now looking back, it's much easier to see where things were different or I could have had different opportunities um, if, I, if I was a man. So I guess looking back, I see them. But when I was in it, I really didn't feel that. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, but it could be so much better. Yeah, I, I feel the same way for me because in my career I worked, you know, I have, you know, more than 14 years experience working for a variety of nonprofits and charities. And one of the large nonprofits that I worked for for a long time, I was the president and CEO and it was an international trade association in the automotive sector. And it operated kind of like a chamber of commerce and there were no women 
like none. And I think that because I was like the, the one, I didn't, there were no barriers put up for me. I, I probably had it on the opposite is that I was such like a foreign entity in this like sea of men, but it never stopped me. And um, I didn't, I didn't really think about you know, what that could have been like if, if there would have been those challenges. I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Here's a, a story for you. I, I remember the first time I traveled internationally with this organization, I was traveling with my board and we were meeting with ambassadors in Switzerland and I get there. And as we were greeted in, somebody referenced me as the secretary <laughs> oh. <laughs> because, right? because my name is unusual. So people that they knew my name as Taver Lee, but they didn't know if that was a man or a woman. So when I first came in and the men were with me, just started chuckling. It was like the funniest thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I know it's like, but you know, I just approach all of that stuff with like grace and humor because um, I feel like a smile and and a kind word of understanding when those situations happen just just seems to like de like de-escalate any potential problems at least that's been my approach no i think that's perfect and i talk to young women a lot about that it's you know don't don't go into victim mentality necessarily go into how do i figure this out and how do i how do i strategically you know get ahead or how do i use what i've got in the situation that is around me to, to navigate this and, and just take it as a challenge instead of as an insult, you know, because mm -hmm. most people and most men around us too, just don't even realize when it's happening or they don't realize it's an issue and they're not, they're not coming from a, you know, a bad heart. They just don't understand it. They don't um, know how to navigate it necessarily. And so I think we've got to take that perspective that we've just got to help them along and help them navigate a new way of doing business, a new way of, of helping us, yeah, you know, or especially young women uh, become better leaders. Yes, exactly. And and that's just it's like a learning opportunity for everyone. I you know, I tell my daughter that sometimes because you know she she's like I was at that age. You know, she's got fire in her belly over it, and you know she wants to be heated. And I always let her know that you know kindness and understanding and. and opportunities to teach are going to get you way farther than any sort of like now sometimes you need the fire but for her you know teenagers they they still need that that voice of calm sometimes <laughs> yeah i agree and and um just the challenging them to you know kind of be on the frontier of this help figure it out help navigate it help men navigate it too um so that we can all do better and i i think men want that i, I was talking to um someone high up at a company that my daughter works for and they were saying, yeah, you know, we were led by all men, although it's almost, you know, two thirds of the company is women. And um, the men really want to bring more women leaders up, but they really haven't found a guidebook on how to do it or how to navigate that, how mm -hmm. to, you know, make an emphasis. And um, so we had a long conversation about that and how you navigate it in today's day and age when men, are, a lot of men are very frightened about what to do or what to say and that they'll mess it up. Yeah, that's a really good point. Somebody asked me recently if I've, you know, if, if I feel differently, you know, raising my son is 20 and what it's like for him, you know, from his perspective that you know, he doesn't necessarily know either. He doesn't want to offend or he doesn't want to, you know, be in a position where anything is, you know, misconstrued or, or, you know, or, or he didn't understand the way that he was perceived. And I haven't really talked to him a lot about that. And it's a conversation that I should have because I think we're talking to our girls a lot, but we're not talking to the boys. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think it's, um, 
you know, we've all got to be in this together. We can't silo and, and just say, you know, it's all about women and us and, and our ability to move forward and, and um, you know, become more empowered. We, we can do that with men and we can take them on that journey with us. And I think most men, our brothers, our dads, our, you know, boyfriends, they want us to succeed and they want to help us. They may just not know how to do it or how to navigate it. And we don't even have the answer. So how would they? Yeah, really good point. And I hope to see more of that as, you know, as this sort of uprising of women staying at the table, as we were talking about earlier, I hope that that, I hope that that includes men in those conversations because, you know, they might have, you know, questions and, um, you know, and different areas of concern that we're not even aware of that, you know, they should be brought to the table too. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, I think we'll be much more successful at making an impact and making things better for everyone if we work on this together rather than in silos. Yeah, I agree. Well, listen, I have so much that I want to talk to you about. And you know, one <laughs> thing I wanted to start with is that I want to, first of all, just say thank you because you've been so open to sharing your story and the adversity, you know, that you've overcome, which has, you know, been delivered in all kinds of different mediums. And I know that you have used sort of the, you know, your TED Talk concept of the art of comeback through service. But, you know, you have, you have faced adversity that, a adversity that a lot of us have not, um, or it's been in a different way. And the way that you've come out and where you're at today is really inspired and, and given other women, you know, I want to say, you know, the courage to face whatever's in front of them. So if you don't mind, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your story? I know it, but I think that my listeners would love to, to hear a little bit more about, um, about your life. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I grew up, I kind of say the all-American kid. I had a great family and we didn't have any money, <laughs> very hard, little money. Um, but my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad um, was a police officer for most of his career and then got into sales and owning his own business. But um, I, um, I was very blessed and I was surrounded by a lot of women who were very encouraging. I had very strong aunts and two wonderful grandmothers and my mom and, and a couple of my mom's best friends that were always very encouraging to me, but I went off and uh, went to college, got my degree in business, and then started in pharmaceutical sales and met uh, this awesome guy, Brian, my first husband, and he was very entrepreneurial as well. And um, we got married and had been married a couple years. And his um, he was just finishing up college at the time. He worked his way through college, and I'd been out for a couple years in the workforce. And um, we had two big dogs and we didn't know where to take them um, when we would travel and go to the mountains and stuff. Mm -hmm. And right about that time, next to my dad's business, opened up one of the first doggy daycares in the Western United States. Mm -hmm. And we cool. thought that was the coolest thing since sliced bread. We'd go over and watch the dogs and be like, oh my gosh, I want to do this someday. So we wrote a business plan for one and we added, we jazzed it up a bit with like a mountain lodge theme and um, not just daycare, but boarding and training and grooming. And we called it Camp Bow Wow. And, you know, we were both young, 20, 25 and 27, did not have, you know, the money to be starting a business. Um, but it was our dream. That's what we wanted to do. Well, about six months after that, um, he was a pretty much a daredevil and loved to do like extreme skiing and uh, I mean, all kinds of stuff, really um, active, crazy stuff. So my dad ran into an old family friend who said, hey, I've got this new um, hobby. I'm doing air shows with this open cockpit biplane, kind of like the Snoopy Red Baron plane. 
you should come down and I'll take you up and into the Springs. And my dad said, Oh, you know, my, my son-in-law's birthday is coming up. Why don't I bring him along as a surprise? So they did that and they surprised Brian and he went up in the plane before my dad and they did all the stunts. And right as they were doing a flyby over my folks, so they could take a picture the plane crashed into the ground mm-hmm. and Brian and Cliff were both killed instantly. And, and, um, it just changed my life dramatically. Went from having, you know, that this pretty awesome, just, you know, very loved Wilker for predictable life to all heck breaking loose. And, mm-hmm. and, um, there's a lot more to the story, but that's the beginning of the, the drama and, and, uh, kind of the, uh, the adversity that I had to get over. Yeah. Well, I know you've talked about, I've talked about that a lot and, you know, I'm sure you've been asked many times, like how, how did you pick up those pieces? Like, I can't even imagine. (laughs) Well, that's where the dogs come back in. Um, I had two big dogs that I loved, furry mutts, Mick and Winnie. And um, I mean, I I was paralyzed. I didn't get out of bed for a while and and I was just devastated. Um, But the dogs still needed to go out. They needed to play ball and and needed to go on a walk. And um, one of my friends, suggested that I become a puppy raiser for canine companions and uh, I did that they said it would take about six months to get a puppy but they ended up coming up with a puppy about two weeks later a little golden retriever who was eight weeks old and nothing gets you back out talking to people like when you have to take an eight-week-old golden retriever puppy everywhere you go right (laughs) and it really at the end of the day Ori was her name she ended up being my service dog instead of uh for somebody else she flunked out of canine companions but she she helped me recover quite a bit and get back out into life I love that I have a I have a husky German shepherd mix who often makes an appearance in this podcast just decides to say hello so if you hear him his name is Hammer it's just his way of saying hey um, I'm being ignored for a little while but yeah I, I I say he completes me my dog completes me I just watched Jerry Maguire the other night on Thanksgiving night. I love that scene. (laughs) It's true. Animals, I mean, dogs too. I mean, they have something so special in how they create bonds with humans. Oh, it's magical. And, and uh, it's just unconditional love. And where else do you get that in the world? You know, I mean, dogs just, they are man's best friend and woman's best friend. Exactly. So, so you have, so the dogs kept you kind of moving forward. And I know that you went through a few different sort of entrepreneurial efforts, um, you know, following, you know, the passing of your husband and then Camp Bowwell came back up again. Like I know we're, we're jumping forward, like many steps ahead, but I know no, Camp Bowwell came up again, right? It, it, it didn't happen then, but it did at some point come back into your peripheral. Yes. So after the crash, I, um, I ended up getting a million dollar settlement from the plane crash. Here's this kid who's maxed out on student loan debt and has never had any money. And that was pretty, um, pretty interesting uh, twist in my life. And then I ended up getting remarried pretty quickly to a guy that I'd known since um, I was 12, um, who was there to kind of take the sting away. And, and that was probably not the best decision. I was still reeling from what happened and my counselor, I remember, said, don't get married and don't have a baby. <laughs> I did exactly those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got Tori out of the deal, who's my 23-year-old daughter, who's my best friend. She's amazing. I love her to pieces. And if, if the dog, Ori helped get me out back out into the real world, but uh, Tori gave me a reason to live again and to really get back into life. And, but my marriage... Um, 
here I am five years later, I'm a single mom. I blew most of the settlement on a big, long custody battle with my ex's um, mother over his addiction and alcohol use. And um, so five years later, I have 80 grand left. And I had already also started a couple other smaller businesses that didn't work out that people said were like the sensible options. Mm. And I'm a single mom, I have 80 grand left. And my little brother's like, you're a mess. Like we need to get you back into life. Um, can I help you? Can we take all that, take off that old business plan off the shelf for Camp Owl and see if we can't get it started? So about six years after the crash or in 2000, my brother and I started the first Camp Bow Wow and um, maxed out my credit cards, used the last of my savings, and it just felt perfect. It was like supposed to happen, mm-hmm. um, and everybody thought I was crazy for using the last bit of my money for that, but it worked, and, and the dogs started coming, and my brother and I fired each other at least three times. <laughs> we <were> just, <laughs> that didn't go so well, but we're fine now. We get along great. Um, Funny. But uh yeah, we're in a good place. And um, so then I opened a second location and then started franchising in 2003 and things just took off and um, grew it to about uh, 150 franchises and um, a $100 million brand and ended up selling it to VCA, the big veterinary chain in 2014. Mm, interesting. Did you keep a role with them after you sold it? I did. I stayed on for three years. The first year I was really actively involved. And then we, we hired a president to take on the day-to-day. And the reason I sold was because on my personal side of my life, I was a single mom to Tory for many years. But uh, in 2007, I met Jason, um, who um, was a bit younger than me, and he wanted to have kids. And, and we got married, and Tori was a teenager, uh, 12 or 13. And we had Holly, who's nine, and then now, and then we had we went to try for one more. I got twins. And so um, here I was in my early forties running this big business and with a teenager and three kids under the age of three. And I was like, I can't do all this. So that's when I decided to sell Camp Bow Wow. Yeah. And isn't, isn't your husband in the, uh, doesn't he have a, he's a chef. Yes, he was supposed to be a stay-at-home dad while I ran Camp Bow Wow, and um, he got into this um, barbecue. There's this huge society not many people know about, like 5,000 barbecue competition teams around the country, and he started competing and winning and um, did really well, and before I knew it, you know, he he was more on the barbecue circuit than hanging out at home, which is great. He's a great dad, but um, so I was like, oh, this is not going to work. But uh, he ended up opening a restaurant, GQ Barbecue, up here in Westminster. And he's just about to open his second one down at Park Meadows um, next week. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. You'll, you'll have to send me the info. And for those that are listening, this is uh, November of 2018. So if this if this comes out before it opens, uh, go look it up and go check him out. Because I, I really, Heidi, I think that Jason and I should be friends because I love barbecue. Oh, yes. You have to go check it out. It's awesome. He's one of the top competitive barbecue guys in the country. It's really good. Amazing. I'll grab your info and um, and I'll I'll put it in my my podcast Facebook page and invite people to come because... (laughs) Cause I like, I like barbecue and the fact that, that, you know, you're, you know, you're doing all this great stuff and he's making food. Like what's the better combination? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't cook for us anymore though. What happens oh, there? That's like the shoemaker. That's like being the shoemaker's kid, right? I mean, they, you're always at the uh-huh. low end. Of the- <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> But what I do like that I can hear in your voice and I, I know about Camp Bow Wow is that you guys are doing and you have done business 
of the things that you love. And that's, I know that it's, it really is the, the true formula to success is to do the things that you're most passionate about. Yes, absolutely. I think it, the number one tip I give young, young adults when I'm talking, whether it's through CU or um, it, just my speaking is, by goodness, get something that you're really passionate about because you're going to spend every waking moment on this company you're going to start or this job that you're going to do. So make sure it's something you really love. And, and one of the, the neatest things I found recently is this book called Designing Your Life. It's by some people at uh, the Stanford Business School. And it teaches you how to mind map and how to kind of expand your thinking about what you might want to do with your life. Mm. And it's a really cool exercise. If you, you know, create a little bubble, put something that you love there, nature, and you say, all right, what am I, you know, what can, kind of industries are there off of nature? Well, there's the ski industry, there's park rangers, there's whatever. And you just keep building it out. And it really um, opens your mind to the possibilities of what you can do around things that you're passionate about. Mm, that's great. I'll have to pick that up for my kids. You've just added an item to their Christmas list. And even if they don't want it, they're going to get it. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> um, okay, I want to switch gears a little because I know that we don't have a super long amount of time. But I want to talk about um, your, you know, your elected position as a, a regent because I don't really understand what that means. Yeah, so the, um, most people don't in Colorado, and it's the, yeah. it's one of the main things you vote on on the, on the ballot. We're one of four states that elects our Board of Regents. It was put in the state constitution when the University of Colorado was created a long time ago, and it's like the Board of Directors for the University of Colorado system, and CU actually is the third largest employer in the state. It, it generates over $12 billion for the economy in Colorado each year. Wow. And um, it's one of the great institutions in our state with the healthcare system and the education system. And we have four campuses uh, around the state. So um, you have to run for political office. So I, I ran a statewide race for it. I was on the business school board at CU and then I was part of the CU foundation board, which kind of controls the endowment and donations. And people are like, oh, you love CU, you love politics, like you should really think about being a regent. I was like, what is a regent? What do they do? <laughs> and, um, you know, I sold the company in 2014. And then at the end of 15, I was winding down my day-to-day -day involvement with Camp Bauer. This might be a great thing to do. Um, and could I have picked a crazier year to run for office than 2016? <laughs> I can't, I, I, I want to talk about that because I can't even imagine what that must have been like. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was really cool traveling all over Colorado. I mean, I went to all 64 counties and every little small town around the state. And boy, I fell in love with the state even more than I already love Colorado. But the people are amazing. But they're very different. I mean, it, the difference between rural Colorado and um, the, you know, the front range is quite dramatic mm -hmm. and what they need and what the resources they have, et cetera. So I fell in love with the rest of Colorado and I also um, realized how important education is to keeping the American dream alive. And I, I wasn't an education warrior before that, believe it or not, even though I was running for regent, but boy, am I now. And I understand how important it is to give kids a wonderful education and that opportunity, whether it's K through 12 or, you know, after that. And not all kids are cut out to go to a four-year degree. I've learned that too. But um, it's just really the key to so many things in our society. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I grew up in Lyons. So I come from a oh, cool. 
yeah, from a really small town and we were pretty isolated. I mean, Longmont is our closest city. It's still a 20 minute drive. So for us, there's no, there was no like, other than the little corner store, there was no like even, um, you know, major grocery store or bank for most of my upbringing in within a half an hour of where we lived. And, you know, we, we had a really small school and, and I don't know what the percentage is of people that graduated in my class that actually went on to college. I was one of them and I, I know a few others, but it was low. And most of, mostly I think that's because there was just not access to understanding that there was maybe a bigger, better option out there in terms of school or career because it's, the towns are small, and especially when you get into the mountain areas, you know, it's, it can be isolating for those towns. Yes, definitely. And, and the workforce needs are so different now. And we've got to figure out how to build a workforce um, that can sustain in rural Colorado and in the Front Range. And, and you know, how students um, in those areas of the state can build um, a career on something that they can stay there with. Because a lot of families are, are really upset that they're, you know, their children are having to move away to get a good job. And I think that's affecting our small towns around Colorado quite a bit. Oh, for sure. And, and, you know, the internet has made a huge difference in that area. And I know that in Lyons case, it's just blown up. It's like double the size it was when I lived there and people are commuting from Boulder and other areas. So it's, it's, it's a little different now, but there are a certain percentage that specifically move to Lyons because they can work uh, remotely or they are doing digital businesses where they don't actually have to be in a physical office. And I think that that, as long as Wi-Fi connection is good, that should be helping the small towns, you know, maintain some of their population. Yeah, I think, I think it's helping a little bit, but we've got to, you know, work on infrastructure there. I mean, the, the amount of the state that doesn't have broadband is terrifying. And that's, mm. you've got to have broadband for whether it's telehealth services or, you know, um, if you want to get, allow kids to take higher education classes or MOOCs and, and all the opportunities there. It's just connected to so many things. So that's just one example, but. Yeah. Well, and this is why we have you uh, in, you know, as an elected doing what you're doing, because I would have never even thought of that. And that's a very good point. <laughs> so, so tell me about the election itself, because I know that it's been coined like a very heated race. Like, why was it heated? Like, what was your, who was your competition? So um, I was new to politics, new running a, a statewide campaign and, um, the board of directors right now at the University of Colorado has five Republicans and four um, Democrats. And it's been that way for 20, 20 years or so, um, believe it or not. People think of CU as a very liberal institution, mm -hmm. but the board has actually flipped more conservative. And um, this was the chance for the Democrats to flip it the other way by flipping this seat. And obviously Hillary Clinton was running for president and Colorado ended up going for Hillary Clinton by, I think, five points. And so, um, you know, I, I had a challenge ahead of me um, to win a statewide race as a Republican and to keep the, the majority on the board. Um, and so it became um, it became a big issue when my opponent became Alice Madden, who's a very experienced politician. She was the Speaker of the House in Colorado for many years um, in the mid 2000s. How to run a sophisticated campaign and surround myself with good people, to, you know, that knew how to do that. And um, I, you know, I just really focused on issues that families care about around education, and kept kept away from a lot of the, you know, lightning rod issues, and just stayed focused on what I thought really mattered to people around education and higher education in Colorado. And I, I just tried to get out as much as I could into the community and meet people and talk to people one on one. 
um, and, you know, take that approach. Yeah. Well, and if you haven't run an election before, I, you know, I only, I, I know little bits about it. Um, but I think that it's, it's a totally different world. And if people have not been involved in any type of, um, you know, elected position before, it can, it can be tough. It's brutal. And especially in today's day and age, I mean, I, you wake up every morning on social media and just cringe. Like, what did they say now? And it not, it's not always truthful and it's not always yeah. flattering. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a war and you just have to um, be prepared for battle and, and know that there's a lot at stake and people really, really are entrenched right now. Um, but the best thing we can do is, is get back to, you know, civil discussion about issues and problem solving. When I tell young people, when they ask me like, how, how on earth can you be in politics? Or, you know, why would you pick the party that you did? And, and I say, because it's just a matter of having different solutions or different ideas on how to solve the problems. Mm. We all want what's best for our country, for our kids, for right. our state. We just have different ideas about how to solve the problem. And uh, at the end of the day, if we can get back to that understanding, then, then we can hopefully get back to civil discussion around it. And one of the things I'm very passionate at CU is preserving free speech and um, feisty debate, feisty collaborative debate. And uh, so I, I started with um, a student, some students and a business leader in the community, something called the Free to Be Coalition. And it's all about looking at both sides of the issues, teaching students how to tactically debate issues without emo so much emotion attached. And we're mm. starting a competition debate club at CU Boulder, which doesn't have one, believe it or not. Mm, interesting. Any plans to expand that to Colorado Springs? Because my daughter actually goes to UCCS in the Springs. Oh, cool. Yes, yes. Um, Josh Dunn, who heads up the government program or the um, political science program at UCCS is fantastic. And so that's on our radar to start in 2019-20. So we're doing it at Boulder this year, and then we'll start it at UCCS and hopefully CU Denver the following year. Very cool. I think that that's awesome. So, okay, so what, so you basically are an elected position for the board of directors. It's a six-year term, correct? Yes, six-year yeah. term. And we don't get paid, but it, and it's, it's not full-time, but it's, it's probably 20, 20 hours a week. Hmm, that's interesting. There, I, I often find that I always think that elected positions that aren't paid takes a certain type of dedication to improving our society because it's, it's a lot of work and it's also a lot of pressure. And I mean, how did your family handle the campaign, let alone you being in that position? Was there any sort of blowback at um, being in the, in the public spotlight? Yeah, it's it's hard. And I think my kids were, my three little ones were little enough that, you know, they were cute about it. They're like, my mom's running for regent or regent, yeah. they called it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the, um, the harder part is for the older ones. And my daughter was, you know, 21, 20. Luckily, she was out of state. She was at University of Oregon. So mm -hmm. she wasn't in the mix of things. But um, I think one of the hardest things for women about running in politics is the effect on their family and their kids. It mm -hmm. is very stressful and it, it they don't just attack you necessarily they do go after your families and your husbands and your friends etc so i think that's one of the scariest things for women about running for office honestly 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because with the midterm that just happened and an incredible amount of women being elected to positions that have never been elected to those positions before, I I was reading leading up to it, just just crap, to be honest, just crap. Stuff that nobody really cares about. I, I don't need to I don't need to know any of this, you know, sort of derogatory information about a woman um, that is put out by the other party that's not supporting that woman. And I, th- I guess maybe it's come from years of wisdom of knowing to read multiple sources before I make a, you know, a determining decision. Um, but do you mm-hmm. think that the women that ran in the recent midterm had it like super hard because there were so many in the running? No, I think there was definitely a lot of, um, they were buoyed by the, um, like there was so much support and so much cheerleading going on for women in this last election. I think that helped a lot. The hard part is now going to be governing and that's a whole different ball game. I'm um, dealing with the politics of that. It's very, it's very um, dominated by men as far as leadership. It's, you know, the capital at the, the state capital or the, the federal capital. And so it's, it's, uh, it's also hard to figure out how to navigate getting things done when things are this divisive. And, and that's, um, it's an art. It's an art and a science. And, and it's something that, you know, we as women have to get good at too. We're, we're people pleasers most of the time. We want to keep people happy. And sometimes you have to make tough decisions when you're governing that don't, you know, always make a hundred percent of your constituency happy. And that's mm-hmm. hard to navigate. Yeah. I think, I, do you think that that's going to be a challenge for, you know, women that have been elected that haven't worked in politics before sort of that learning curve on not just the election part, but the actual doing of being an elected? Absolutely. Yes. It's been challenging for me. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur and I, and a CEO and I come into this $5 billion organization, which is, you know, it's a big bureaucracy and it's, and you go into a board of nine people and you have to make decisions as a board. You don't make decisions as an individual. Same as if you don't have the support of the majority of your, you know, legislature friends, then you're not going to get anything done. So it's about persuasion. It's about having the best ideas. It's about, you know, proving that your ideas work and that they're the best things for um, the people of Colorado or CU or whatever constituency you have. Mm, really good point. I think and it's, it's about good. finding compromise. Right. which is the hardest thing right now. Right. Especially if you come from an entrepreneur background, because we're used to making our own decisions. So we're having to share decision-making. Well, that's a different ball of wax. <laughs> Yeah, and we're we're used to um, moving fast and and making decisions and um, you know being nimble and flexible, and the government and bureaucracies that's not how they roll, and yeah. that's probably been the hardest thing to deal with um, going from being an entrepreneur slash CEO, and probably you know a lot of the gals that got elected are moms and they're just used to just getting stuff done, and uh, yeah. there's a lot of um, ways that they prevent you from getting things done in that, which isn't always a bad thing, you know, but uh, it's for the government to move slow. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So there's no like snap decisions that need to be undone. I, I agree with that, but I, I am just super excited to see that there are so many women staying at the table. And I was reading an article, I don't know if it was a blog or a, I'm not sure where it was, a couple of months ago. And, and the focus was about opportunities for women that are advancing their career and some of the challenges they face. And and one of the top challenges was listed is that women just don't stay at the table for whatever reason, their, their lack of knowledge or any pushback or their, their confidence, if a woman hasn't done it before can just, just take us a step back away from where we need to remain. And I feel like this election, well, and of course, 
I, I see w women are rising in all kinds of areas, but I, I feel like we are giving more women courage to just stay in the game a little longer so they can make some positive change and really break new ground. Do you think that this is like a, a change of time? I do. I feel that. It, it definitely feels that way. Um, the hard part is just sustaining that emotion because uh, a lot of this election was fueled on anger mm. and anger dissipates and it's hard to keep sustained. And so now we've got to shift to coming from a place of collaboration and service and, you know, love for both sides of the, the fence in order to get things done. And we've got to make that shift if we want this to be a sustained long-term, you know, change. And boy, do I want that. I want that more than anything. It's part of why I started free to be, because I'm like, we've got to teach them and, you know, college is even too late, but we've got to teach students how to, you know, um, debate issues and solutions without attaching so much emotion to the outcomes. Mm, that's a really good point. I never thought about it, this, this election being fueled by so much anger. That's, you're right. That's going to have, when that goes away, it's, that's going to hopefully not, you know, take people's passion away for what they're doing. Well, and that's something I'm really worried about. And I don't want to be a negative ninny about it because I, I think we're going to do great. And I think it is a woman's time, but we've got to, you got to, you got to stand up for the long game and you've got to, um, you've got to learn how to be a good um, tactical, not politician, but policymaker. Mm -hmm. And um, you've got to learn how to navigate it. Like we just talked about earlier, how to govern, because that's a totally different thing I'm finding. I've been in the regent role for two years and it reminds me a lot of being a CEO of a franchise company where you have 200 different franchisees with different ideas and opinions. You've got one brand and you've got to figure out how to take everyone forward, even though you've got 200 different opinions. And um, it's, it takes a lot of learning and failure to figure out how to make it happen and how to do it. And so I hope that I would encourage the women that are newly elected and new to the game to find mentors, find women that have been in it longer find, um, you know, um, people on the other side that you can befriend and start to, you know, personalize those relationships so you don't see it as the other side necessarily. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that, that are, are there good role models out there? I mean, I know there's been a lot of women in different elected positions, not a lot, but there are some that have paved the path. I mean, are there, are there good resources for the newly elected women that will help them navigate that? Or do they have, this is going to sound strange, but I, I want to say like a mastermind of elected women. <laughs> that can like coach each other because i i think you're right this is this is uncharted territory and on top of that women handle things differently i mean having male mentors i think is important because they have a different perspective but women we're just a little different in how we interact how we connect how we process and i think that that would be huge well and and the other thing is it's very competitive you know for leadership positions for you know um, what if you're running against another woman it's it's a, a weird situation right now. And so, um, but a good one, I mean, we've got to take this and run with it and get really good at it really quickly and do things differently. Like we've got a model for other women, how to do it. And those of us that even have been in a couple years longer than the others, it's just take people and take young women under your wing, teach them what you know, even if it's not very much. And you know, be a happy warrior. I think that's what's missing most in politics right now is happy warriors, people who can, you know, know that we're all coming from a good place. We all have good hearts. We all want what's best for our children and our country. We just have different ideas about how to get that done. And if we can recognize that, 
that takes down the emotion a bit and it, it says, okay, well, let's look at the solutions and let's look at data and let's look at what works and what doesn't and how much money we have available and, you know, make it more business-like and more tactical than so emotional. Such good advice. And do you share this, Heidi? Do you have a chance to interact with any of the, especially local female politicians on these topics? Um, not necessarily. I, I work more on the candidate side and helping, um, you know, a lot of young, or women candidates on, um, on the, in the Republican Party. But um, yes, I certainly, I mean, I'll share it with whoever I can meet and get to know. I, I work with a lot of the, the students in student government helping them with this. Mm. Um, and like, um, the, I went to the Young Women's Leadership Summit for Turning Point in Texas and just had a ball. There were like 500 young women from all over the country that are in, you know, student government leadership positions at their, at their colleges. And it was such an incredible experience. And uh, it gives you hope too, and inspires you that, you know, I've got to do a good job. I've got to model this um, because, you know, I've got to lead the path or make a path for all these incredible young women to go out there and make a difference. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for all you're doing. I mean, you are truly one of the strongest female voices on positive change because you're not, you know, you're not, you're not blazing the trail with like horns loud and throwing axes and swords. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not. And I think that that that's, that's the grace. That's the grace part of, you know, what we're here to talk about, the grit and grace of being a female entrepreneur or, you know, doing, you know, great things that grace is so important. And I love that you portray that pretty much in everything you do. I think that that's incredible. Well, thank you. That means the world to me because it's, oh boy, there are some days that you are angry and you do want to, you know, just tear things down. But uh, you learn after a couple of times of trying that, that it's, it's just, it doesn't do anything for the long term. It's short term feels good, but then long term it doesn't do anything to make you know make things better. Right, and there's lots of better ways to go out and get your aggression out. You know, I'm a Krav Maga instructor, so if anybody needs to get their aggression out, or if you do, you're welcome to oh, come to my classes. Cool. <laughs> and I'll teach you how to hit some stuff really hard and get your aggression out. Yeah, I um, it's one of the things I'm also really passionate about. You know, my company, Corporate Cause Agency, I, I work with businesses to support their community partnerships and you know, between this podcast and this new digital training that I'm offering, I've also just launched a new subscription box called Grit, Grace, and Glory. And it really is just celebrating women um, and all the amazing things that they're doing. And then on the side of all that, I teach Krav Maga because I love it. I love showing others oh, that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it's empowering. And, you know, we train a lot of women who have experienced violence or sexual assault in their life. Plus, we train men as well. We have regular classes. Um, but I find that, you know, it's, it helps me feel like the small slice of people that come into my peripheral that I can help them, you know, find their voice and find their ability to say that I get to choose. You know, it's my choice. I don't, I don't have to stand here and be a victim. I get to choose. And it's amazing. Well, and I think that's one of the most powerful messages we can give to our young women today is you get to choose yeah. and you decide your destiny. I, I just listened to, my daughter had me listen to Rachel Hollis. Um, oh, yes. Who does talk. Oh yeah. my gosh, she's a little dynamo. And yeah. uh, I love her message of getting away from victimhood and, you know, taking responsibility for your life and what you're going to do and, and fixing problems in your life. I mean, I think it's a very different message than a lot of our young women have grown up hearing and something that we need to really start, you know, repeating over and over again. 
Yeah, that's absolutely my, my attitude on life. I've, I've been through a whole ton of like physical and health issues. I literally live with half the organs that I was born with. I've had, Oh my goodness. Yeah. 12 major surgeries. And I I was just telling somebody today, it's funny. I just, I counted my incisions on my abdomen recently. I have 31 like scars on my abdomen and and right And I, it's funny. And I, I think, wow, that's in my brain. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, look, look at the stuff I'm doing. I'm preparing for a strongman competition and I teach Krav Maga and it's because I choose, I choose, I just choose. I choose to live every day to its, the, you know, to its maximum potential and be the best person that I can be every day. Because you know what? I already know for a fact, as you do, tomorrow is absolutely not guaranteed. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's one of the things Rachel talks about too in her podcast that I listen to. She talks about how stop competing and comparing yourself to other women. Like competition is, uh, what did she say is, it's like the worst thing you can do. I can't remember how she said it. She said it much more eloquently. But um, what you can do is compare yourself to the person you were yesterday. Yes. And if you're making progress, even a little bit, then yes. woohoo, give yourself kudos and celebrate. Yes. I say, I often say that jealousy to me is like the worst trait that a woman can have because we are all so different and everything we want is different. And it's, you know, that's been a journey for me. And, and I think that maybe I've just been a little naive because I cruise along in my life and do my thing and go through my stuff and come out the other side and just keep doing my thing and looking for great ways to be my best. And I don't, I sometimes don't realize that in the peripheral, you know, the friendships that have changed and you know what this like, what it's like when you, when you start a company and your goals are literally out of the stratosphere. So people can't relate. And when they can't relate, there's a distance between you and them. And I just didn't realize that a lot of that comes from jealousy. And, you know, it's really narrowed down my tribe to be a little smaller, which is fine, but it's just sad. There's my, my goals are different than yours that are different than the person next to me. Everybody's there's different. And when we support each other to be their best, it shouldn't matter what they achieve compared to you. No, and there's plenty of good stuff to go around, for goodness sake. Exactly. Like, I mean, we live in the best country in the world with the most opportunity. There is no shortage of opportunity, for sure. Well, well and that's the thing I love most about our country, too, is, yeah. I mean, it's about opportunity, and we all have it. It's there for the taking. We just have to be brave enough and strong enough to take advantage of that and run with it. Yeah. You know, listen, Heidi, I could talk to you all day and I I can't wait to talk to you again because this is, I like that we share so many, you know, values in our life and how we approach the things that have happened and where, you know, where we put our emotion into making decisions. And I think that you're amazing. So thank you for joining me. Well, the feeling is very mutual and I can't wait to talk to you more too. Next time we'll have to do it over a glass of wine or coffee or something. (laughs) Done. I mean, maybe we should do like wine and like coffee flavored chocolate. That's like the (laughs) boat. That sounds lovely. (laughs) Well, okay. So um, Heidi, if people want to find out more about, I know you have a lot of other things going on and we didn't get to get into it, but you're doing incredible things in the community. And if people want to find out more about you, where should they go to find you? Most of my time on, on social media, I focus on Instagram and do a lot of stories and stuff. So it's at Heidi Ganahl. That's also my Facebook and Twitter handle too. And then um, I have a website, HeidiGanahl.com too, where you can read more about my story and see lots of articles and stuff too. And, and uh, But uh, I can definitely connect with everyone on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. Wonderful. I'll, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes so people know how to spell it. And so my last question for you is what percentage of grit and grace are you? Oh, that's a good question. 
Um, probably heavier on the grit side. I need to have more grit. Yeah. <laughs> um, probably I'd say 60, 40 grit. Oh, see, you're, you're doing better than me because today I'm like 80, 20 because, you know, I'm launching new products and it was just a holiday. And, uh, you know, when I, I have one kid traveling and one kid home from college, I'm like, whoa, I'm like, do, do, do. So I, I feel like the grit comes from our like worker bee. I could use a little more grace today. So I'm striving for 50, 50. <laughs> I think that's a great goal and I'm going to strive for that as well. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Heidi. And for listeners, um, I'm going to put some information about Heidi in the show notes and please feel free to go check her out. And I will definitely have her back again because she is doing amazing things and she's empowering our youth. And she is, you know, she really just is a female voice that I think others should hear other women and men should listen to because the lack of, you know, rage and anger and the focus on the positive change and debate is something that I think is, is truly incredible. And, you know, stay tuned because Heidi's going to keep doing great things. And so thank you for joining me, Heidi. Thank you so much and have a great day. You too.